Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 189. Had a chat with Claire Cowan. She is a composer and, and performer. Um, she works in the, in the classical space and post-classical. She's uh, a film composer, TV. She's working on a brand new score for the Royal New Zealand Ballet. I believe she is the first... Kiwi female composer to work for the ballet Um, and she runs a thing called the Blackbird Ensemble and they do all sorts of kind of not quite tribute shows but uh, reimaginings of uh, it started with her doing a show based around works of Arvo Piet and she's done some stuff with uh, the music of Radiohead but I think maybe the most successful show the most interesting has been this one where it's interpreting the works of Björk now that was first performed a couple of years ago uh, up in Auckland, but now uh, she and the ensemble, uh, which features Mara TK and Anna Coddington on vocals, among others, and, uh, and a bunch of really talented musicians, they're actually doing a, 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 sh- a few shows around the country. Um, right as you're hearing this podcast, they'll be playing in Wellington. I think they then go, I'll, I'll have the d- all the dates lined up in the notes for you to look at, but I think they're all doing Havelock North Arts Festival, um, and Hamilton and I think Nelson or Blenheim. Uh, so, yeah, it was my first time meeting her. I was aware of some of her work. I mean, she's been a former uh, composer in residence for Orchestra Wellington, so I'd, I've heard works of hers performed. I've seen her perform, um, and uh, she's actually been mentioned a few times on the podcast by other musicians. She's a real talent. So I was lucky to grab uh, some time with her just the other week when she was in Wellington working on these several projects that she's juggling at the moment and found out a bit more about her and a big sort of plug for the Blackbird Ensemble as well. Um, Yeah, I really enjoyed meeting her and talking to her and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Me with Claire Cowan. Thanks as always to Tea Leaf Tea, uh, Yesti Boys and La Pity Chocolat. You seem to me to be a um, a prolific worker in a range of, you know, you're a composer, but you're an arranger, a um, player still. You've got lots of pots on the boil. Yep. Has it always been, has music always been that way for you since you discovered it? Have you been a person that's, that, did you dive right in immediately? Yes. Um... I think it's kind of uh, when you graduate from university with a composition degree and you hope to make that your job, you kind of have to be a jack of all trades to make a living and to, for me personally, I I like the variety to, you know, just keep me interested. Mm. Um, If I was doing the same thing all the time, I'd just get bored. So, and I I get to meet lots of different people and I work in different bands and arrange for different people, different orchestras. and I learn new skills, you know, applying music to different yeah. uh, applications. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, because I've, I've seen you play, I've seen productions that you've been involved in, that you've been an arranger for, I've um, seen, you know, you have been commissioned by Orchestra Wellington, all sorts of things, so I've, and, and heard recordings of some of the things, but, but I mean, uh, that's all post, as you say, coming out with a composition degree and, yeah. you know, what what how did you first how did you first discover music or how did it find you um well i'm the youngest of four kids in my family and my older siblings listen to music in the house all the time and um i sort of discovered music through them they mm. would um curate my listening <laughs> mm-hmm. um in terms of what radio stations we listen to what cds they put on 
And so I kind of discovered artists through them, and then also they were playing instruments, and so I wanted to do everything they did. I really looked mm. up to them. Mm. So I played the piano, and I played the cello like my sister. Um, and then when I was at high school, I started actually, you know, doing the theory of composing, writing down um, the things that I'd made up. Although I'd made up things before, just not had the skills to write them down. Mm. Um, and I think it was just like, uh, I just enjoyed the storytelling aspect of it. I would think of a sort of story or a theme and make tunes up in my head and play on the piano, even, yeah, when I was pretty young. Um, and I guess now I've, no, I just do that for money. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a musical family. Well, uh, it started off that way, mm. but now that's what I mean. When you you grow up, I, it, yeah, it was an, it was a good environment. Yeah. my mum had a piano, and we all played that, apart from one of my brothers. And then um, they all went off and did different careers, and I just chose chose to stick with it. Mm. Um, although I could have done lots of things, I, I've like a really wide range of interests. And mm. when I was at high school, I was thinking, would I do music? Would I do theatre? I was really into acting and. Um, really into design as well and mm. I took all those subjects and um, so I think the thing that um, pinned me into the music world was getting accepted into the mentoring scheme with the NZSO which was the first year that they'd run it and I was 16 and I had a, a cellist mentor Robert Ibell um, and he sort of um, introduced me to that, that sort of life and although I didn't really have much of an interest in being, becoming a cellist, I didn't really love the long hours in the practice room, mm. although now I do long hours by myself but not <laughs> practicing, just writing, mm. but um, that's kind of what steered me down the path rather than the other. But that's really important isn't it, like that, you getting that background as a player and from another player. Yeah. That informs your um, your empathy as a composer, right? So Definitely. your long hours you're talking about, you know what it's, you know what someone is going through to, yeah. to maybe play, you know Definitely. what you're asking of them <laughs> comes at the price of the work yeah. that they've put in, and, I and vice versa. A healthy have, respect for the amount mm. of work that each individual person in the orchestra <laughs> has put in to get to the standard that they are, mm. and. Um, and so I love working with them at the on the other side of the score rather than, you know, mm. actually playing in the orchestra. Um, I did play in the Auckland Youth Orchestra for a while, and that was cool, but it was more a social thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I guess like the you know you've you're doing work for TV and film, and you talk about being interested in theatre, and that that performative aspect is there in some of your compositions, and obviously in the in the staging of the shows that yeah. you're doing but you've got that um kind of um i saw that loop pedal piece with uh, um sort of dancing as oh, part yeah. of the perform you know it's <laughs> a, that's a very performative composition yeah, yeah that was yeah. a kind of unusual thing because it was a collaboration with a chef and um it was also a collaboration with a sort of overall event which was very art focused so mm. it's like fine art world and then fine dining world and then because I'm a musician I had to put that element in too and I was studying flamenco um, dance at the time so I was like okay how can we combine all these mm. to make a little performance mm. um, I thought that was amazing I mean you can you could sit and listen to it but it's clearly a visual yeah. it's a visual piece yeah. like it was a, yeah. a theatre piece or yeah. whatever yeah yeah I mean yeah and the the food and stuff was all kind of themed around it as well so 
Um, I guess those are my three main passions. Gosh, food and performance and yeah. uh, music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, to be able to exist in in those worlds and yeah. any of those worlds is amazing. To be able <laughs> to combine them, you've uh, you've kind of hit the jackpot. As you know, people listening in or hearing your work would think, but uh, but but as stacked up as you might be with work at various times, are there moments where you're like, <laughs> where's, 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 the, next, where's the next job? Yeah, yeah, there's always dry patches. Luckily, I've not hit one for a while, but sometimes, you know, things just fall through at the last minute and you're left with open time. But now I feel like that might be, if I'm doing okay for money, it's just a luxury, really, to mm. have time of my own. And then I might go traveling, because traveling's just like a really great... Um, contrast to my life where, <laughs> where mm. I spend most of it in the studio mm. um, or just work on my own stuff but I feel like I, I'm i really meant to make music for other people because I don't get much done when I'm just trying to do things for myself mm. Mm. Uh, but if I tell other people I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it for your thing then I will definitely get it done I think I like to please people and mm. I like to get that to and throw um, feedback and um, collaborative um, approach to mm. creating. Mm. Yeah. So I mean it's obviously you're, you're, you're trained and you've graduated, you've all of this, but it's one thing to, to start tinkering with an instrument and creating sort of mini ideas and motifs, but where do you first get the kind of, where do you first know that you can structure something and, and draw an idea out? And does that fall into place for you? Uh, you mean like whether the idea is good enough? To well, yeah, or yeah, that it can sustain itself. Yeah. Like that you're actually making a a lasting composition, yeah. something that you want to repeat <laughs> or, or, or you know or have on the record. I guess it's hard because, uh, like, when I finish a piece, often I've fallen out of love with it because it's taken so much slog to get to the mm. finish line. Whereas at the beginning, I'm like, oh, I really love this idea. But once you tease it out and work and work and work on it and try and get rid of the parts that aren't so good and build it up again, I've sometimes just kind of lost interest. And I think that's probably coming back to why I never finish anything of my own accord and only finish it for other people. Um, because if I let myself down, there's no consequence. But I mean, that idea. Yeah, you're like the you're like the builder that takes forever to finish their own house. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because <laughs> um, nobody's paying them to yeah, do it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I think if I come back the next day and I'm I still like the idea, then I know it's a keeper. And if I come back the next day or the next week or the next month and I'm still liking it, then I know that it's really worth mm. the hard yards of crafting it into a longer form I'm thinking though also back to like when you're I guess around maybe around the time of that mentorship program and and even before then I mean you know kids grow up going I want to be an actor but they don't necessarily go I'm going to be a movie star that stars in a film or I'm going to play this type of character or, mm. or they might go I'm going to be a writer but they don't necessarily say I'm going to be an author of books so I, I feel like that that's the same with being a composer. You might want to be a musician. You want, might want to make a song. Mm. But the idea that you're going to compose on the regular, mm. you know, how, how do you have a memory of, you know, I'm whatever age, I'm X number of years old and I'm already thinking I'm going to compose more than once <laughs> as a job? Um, 
Um, I think really young, like um, probably when I was sort of intermediate, I was composing. Right. Yeah. I think I thought of being a composer as quite a glamorous mm. profession back mm. then. Um, and I would sit at the piano and play for my parents, whatever yeah. I'd come up with. And um, they would dutifully sit there and tell me it was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's been one of my passions for such a long time. And it's the storytelling element that I really kind of latched into. They'd mm. be like, what's it about? And I'd be like, it's about this. Um, yeah. What were you drawing influence from in terms of what you were listening to? Like you're talking about your mm-hmm. older siblings playing you a lot of stuff or, yeah. you, or just hearing what they were. Because yeah. a, a little bit of it is about wanting to connect with the older sibling, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I, you know, I know my older brother introduced me to a lot of music. I might have found it anyway. Yeah. But it gave us something to talk about. Yeah. But I'm really grateful that I found yeah. it through him. <laughs> I think they really wanted me me to be cool before my time, you know. They didn't right. want me to listen to the music that all my peers were listening <laughs> to. They wanted me to listen to the music that they were listening to. So I didn't really understand their more kind of mature taste. Um, but I did, like, get... I, I, my sister, for instance, like, was really into, like, Nick Drake and Joni Mitchell and those greats of 70s mm. artists. And so that left a big influence on me. And my brother was, like really into like the cure and uh, the smiths um, so like I I had an appreciation for that music too because it was worth mm. playing and then my parents they weren't really music listeners um, they always had national radio on and um, sometimes we listened to concert FM I guess um, so I didn't really listen to heaps of music back mm. then other than just what was on the radio well it's funny because those four artists that you named yeah. like the Cure and the Smiths yeah. and, and Joni and Nick Drake they're yeah. all kind of um, kind of out of time and timeless yeah, they are. I think to anyone other than people that were discovering it at, the, at their initial time of impact but even maybe then obviously I, I found all of those things later in life mm. uh, too but I, I, they're all things that I think man where did this you know you get lost in that and go well this you can instantly turn someone onto that stuff now. Mm. And in the case of all of them, we're talking 30 or 40 years yeah. past their sort of commercial heyday. Mm. It's kind of astounding for a yeah. Well, Nick Drake's a little bit more fringe than the others, yeah. but the other three are essentially pop artists mm. of a kind. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing was that I loved film soundtracks. Mm. If I saw films, I'd immediately want to hear their soundtracks. And the piano film came out when I was about like Holly um, Anna Paquin's oh, yeah, age, yeah, yeah, and so yeah. everyone was talking about, oh, do you know the girl yes. who was cast as the young girl in the piano and stuff? And then I, my mum bought the um, score, the Michael mm. Nyman score, and so I would try to play that, and um, really loved the harmonies that he chose, which were way different to what my mm. piano teacher had been feeding me, like mainly just like very classical Mozart, Haydn, Beethoven. Chopin, um, which I just uh, I just wasn't doing it for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, gosh, that was one of the things that was everywhere too. That I'm major particularly for piano <laughs> students, but yeah. that piano score yeah, and soundtrack hit. was it was a hit. Hit. Yeah. That's right for something that's quite um, what's the word? I don't know. I mean, it's quite um, of even though it's not doesn't sound like um, you know 
solo piano classical music, but mm. it, it's still of more of that world mm. than of anything else. Mm. So for it to become the hit that it mm. did, I think because it was tied to such a strong story. And yeah. I remember hearing an interview with Michael Nyman talking about how he crafted the style to be like almost naive, like somebody yes. had taught themselves to play it. Because um, it's so different from so many of his other, other scores. Yeah. But for me, that was my, um, oh, probably for you, mm. that was my introduction to him. Yeah. And, well, he you know, spent you know, the rest of his career just leaping yeah. off that. Yeah, yeah, because everything he was doing before that was pretty <laughs> out there in terms of the movies he's working yeah, for right. too, right? Mm. Like they're pretty um, art house, so they're not big, big budgets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, was, I mean, that... Um, when I think about it, that's probably one of the film soundtracks that really had a big impact on me. Because I'm always, um, I was interested to talk to you about this because I know, I mean, I know you compose f for film and TV, but I've must have read an interview where you talked about being a, obviously a big fan of composition, film composition, and I, and I'm always looking out for film scores. I'm always mm. listening to them, and I'm kind of baffled when I talk to someone about the music in a film and say how great it was and they say I didn't notice yeah <laughs> do you get that like have, you know I'm like hang on that's part of a film experience yeah. like yeah you I know. guess some people just don't think about that because they haven't mm. come in contact with anyone who mm. it's opened that door for them or yeah. yeah 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 no I mean I'm, I'm I'm not saying that it's a secret club or that you should knock anyone that doesn't uh, like it but for me I just it's it's a big part of mm. the film experience mm. and I can even I mean, I used to collect loads of film scores I've sort of cut down, but I can even appreciate a really good score to a really bad movie. <laughs> it can elevate the movie yeah. somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the opposite as and, well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, but all of those things yeah. are interesting. Yeah. yeah. There have been quite a few films that I've walked out of going, oh, that soundtrack, just like... <laughs> I just... I well, can... you have a... Um, uh, not a vested interest, but you have a knowledge base <laughs> yeah. now where you, you must be going, well, I would have done... <laughs> well, yes, well, not so much like, oh, I would have done that different or mm. better, but um, just sometimes the approaches are very cliched or they yes. uh, overuse the technique or mm. repeated it so many times that you're just like, oh, we get it. You know? Well, that's all part of your professional development, yeah. though, right? That's what I mean. It's like it's ongoing study for you. It's, it's good. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it's a tax-deductible um, expense. <laughs> exactly. Maybe ticket for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Yeah, so... But and so do you still do that? Go to the go to the big screen to experience yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I love that's movies. part of um, absorption of soundtrack for me too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the sound system's so much better than mm. what I could have at home. Mm, so, mm, mm. Um, yeah, mm. I love it. Like cinema surround. Mm. Mm. What were some of the other um, kind of you know the piano obviously was a, a big film and, and and the music plays so dramatically mm. through it too mm. it's it's busy yeah you know it, it appears often mm. uh and 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 the the style of the film too there's large passages without dialogue yeah. there's a character that's mute mm. etc so the mm. music's speaking for it that really character does, yeah. um can you remember any other really visceral early movie music experiences on beyond um, that one yeah uh well i remember the first piano concert I went to was David Helfgott after mm. the movie Shine came out. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I <laughs> dissected that score and listened to it so many times um, and I really loved how he fused in the classical pieces with his mm. compositions. And um, I have a lasting memory of that concert that my brother and, uh, sat next to me and um, 
he had a tooth knocked out while he was play, playing soccer and so he had a plate with just one mm. tooth on it and in the middle of his encore <laughs> he put his tooth plate on my uh, knee <laughs> and I couldn't say anything or like scream or like <laughs> elbow him off um, because you know <laughs> classical concert yeah, yeah, yeah. you're allowed to make a noise and I couldn't touch it because I was like <laughs> I think I was I don't know 11 or something yeah yeah then. so you're almost sort of frozen yeah <laughs> listening to this staring down at this tooth well David Halfblatt's <laughs> doing encore after mm. encore because mm. he's like such a funny performer kept running on, on and off stage mm. to play more because everyone loved him yeah yeah, yeah. wow yeah, that's pretty cool and uh, anything that anything that struck you I mean those obviously are both piano heavy films mm, yeah. uh, featuring pianists yeah, on true. the screen and yeah. you're and you're studying there's nothing wrong with that it's yeah. all playing into the mm. playbook where you're at yeah. but I'm wondering when you start to if there's something from around that time or a little bit after where it's like a a really you know detached musical score from what you're studying or thinking about Hmm, but around them, uh, like Strictly Warm is like my favourite film of all time. Oh, yeah. I love this. I love the integration of the pop songs and the score. Um, Moulin Rouge, another one, you know, Beth Lemon does that so well. Mm. Um, what else? I mean, Titanic was out around that time as well. And Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Um, so those are all like mm. phenomenally huge mm-hmm. Hollywood. And I guess they were at the beginning of that craze of integrating pop music, Mm, mm. um, which hasn't really gone away. That's Mm. that's still a big thing. Um, What else? I mean, like, um, I can't really think of the next big film that impacted. I mean, I got into like Wes Anderson films and all of Mm. that. who does his stuff? Um, like Mark Mothersbaugh. Yeah, yeah, from Devo. Yeah. But there's that great, um, his great selection too of things like Jackson Brown and Nick Drake songs. Yeah, random other yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's Nico, actually quite yeah. cool. It's like a really curated playlist yes. of what's like quirky. And yeah, they're almost like those um, great mojo CDs from back in the day. Oh yeah. What, you know what? It's some of those soundtracks are almost like that, yeah. but with score as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. and classical mm. um, existing mm. pieces like um, Moonrise Kingdom had all that um, yeah. Benjamin Britten stuff in it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that was great I yeah. thought like yeah mm. I don't I've sort of got a little tired of his films as they've gone on mm. like I didn't like the Hotel Budapest one at all right. but I love Moonrise Kingdom yeah. and and uh, you know you, he's one of those guys because of his whole aesthetic including the regular composer yeah because it's always Mark isn't it I think he's pretty, uh, mu- pretty much I know Alexander Desplat. Oh yeah, 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 okay, yeah. yeah. But um, but you know, like, but you know, music one way or another mm. is going to be if is going to be actually used in his film. Yeah. Like it's going to be part of the it's, palette. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, oh, cool. And so, what other instruments? Do you? I mean, how many instruments do you play? Um, so you're a cellist and a pianist, but what very else? Very well. Um, just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I studied piano and cello with a teacher, and mm. then I taught myself guitars and um, banjo and ukulele and I've got an accordion and things that are related to plucking or Mm. playing keys basically I can totoo on. Mm. I've got a lot of little percussion instruments at my studio as well because it comes in handy for recording and yeah sound effects and and things uh, Yeah. yeah cool 
Cool. Um, so, so tell me about the, I guess, the formation of the Blackbird Ensemble because that's been around for a few years now. Yeah, we started in two thousand and ten. Mm. So coming up, it's your brainchild. Yes, mine. Well, I did start it with a, a friend in the very beginning, um, and we put on a concert um, of Ivo Pietz music. And um, I was unemployed at the time, and I kind of was just like um, disillusioned. I'd graduated from university. I'd mm. gone overseas for a little while, come back, um, and then I was just floating around really poor and I was just like why is nobody like giving me a job I have all these skills yeah. <laughs> and then I was like oh you silly girl you should just do this you should just do something yourself because you know so many people who will just get on board with whatever you want to do so I just called up all these people these amazing performers that I went to uni with or met along the way and um, I'd been listening to a CD of Arvo Pitt's music that my sister had given me and I listened to it when I was traveling um, and I have a specific memory of sitting in a hotel room in Singapore on my way back home which I always think is a great time to reflect on your life and like mm. just have that okay when I step back foot in the country I'm gonna do this do that yes it's like a little New Year's Day yeah I feel <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you know yeah. you have a chance to reassess yes, yes. and I was listening to Avo Pet the Tabula Rasa and Suma um, and it was just on this random mixtape that my sister had made me and I was I didn't even know what it was and I was mm. like I love this and then when I got back to New Zealand I researched it more found out what it was got the score from the library and <laughs> don't tell Avo Pet but we didn't have the parts <laughs> so we just photocopied it and cut up all the um, parts from the score and it's like a really <laughs> long piece so it got really complicated and you look at the parts we made, they're all higgledy-piggledy from the sellotape and I got kind of annoyed towards the end so there's some dynamics kind of half cut off and stuff. But anyway, put together the group, we got, um, I had a crazy idea to do three concerts, three nights, three different venues. Um, why? I don't know. That's a really dumb idea. You should just do one <laughs> venue. Um, and then... Yeah, we marketed it in a way, I really wanted it, you know, I'm kind of a control freak when it comes to the visual side and the marketing and everything with Blackbird. Are you snoring? That's yeah. so cute. Um, and so we did posters with quotes from Arvo Pitt, because he's quite a philosophical mm, kind of mm, guy, mm. and um, I wrote in, because uh, tabula rasa means um, clean slate, black, uh, something about a slate. Mm -hmm. And so it was a black poster with white chalk writing on it, and it was um, quotes about music being like light through a prism and amazing stuff like that, and how the music's refracted in the listener's ear. And um, so I just did these quote posters, and I stuck them up around um, town, and um, and then we did uh, posters that matched, but with all the details of the concert. And, and my hope was that people would just walk past these and put two and two together. And, you know, the quote posters were just like uh, enlightenment for free. And then the actual gig posters were the hook. So mm. um, it seemed to work. We, we sold out anyway. And it was a small venue, but it was just... Um, absolutely packed to the rafters mm. and it was in a bar we we did it in a restaurant um i wanted it to be an inclusive space somewhere where nobody would be afraid to come and 
Um, it's just word of mouth really I guess. Um, we didn't have a budget to print heaps of posters but um, we all dressed up in black. We had a black sort of stripe of paint across either one eye or both eyes. It was just the black and white theme. And then candles. We just had candles and it mm. was um, it was like barely barely readable with the music situation but <laughs> and because of my like copy and paste like my actual physical cutting yeah. out the music <laughs> was actually pretty small <laughs> but um we'd rehearse quite a lot so we we could you know remember and um yeah, it was magic it was really cool and everybody got such a buzz from it because also I'd come through university with these amazing performers and they were playing concerts that were sort of half full um, but only with like really old people and I was mm. like there's nothing wrong with old people listening to classical music but yep. don't you want to have some of your peers in yes. the audience yeah, who yeah. aren't classical music people um, because they'd enjoy it too and so that's why, where my idea of you've got to play in the places where you want where the audience normally goes and then they won't be afraid of the concept yes, that's there's coming a, there there's a fear or a, an idea just around the things like the the venues, you mm. know, where you know the place where mm. inverted commas classical music exists, yeah. is, or jazz festival, or what you know, things like that. Those yeah. are things that frighten some yep. people, yeah. and they don't need to remove part of that context, yeah. put it in a new place, yeah. perform the same thing, yes. and you get a new yeah. feel to it, right? Yeah. And so you bring in a new. And I was thinking when you were saying that, like you know, I've I've been to lots of different things over the years, and when I go to orchestra-related things. If it's, well, I think um, Orchestra Wellington do a great job of this, for example, but but if it's something like a, you know, maybe it's a pop star playing with a string section or whatever, I, there's always people playing in the orchestra or the orchestral component, and you can see they've got a bit of an extra smile on their face for mm. doing something slightly mm. different, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just what you were saying about these people that, you know, that, that play and... You know, I know because that, that's one of those things. There's, there is that's I think, you know, Mark, the way Mark runs Orchestra Wellington is great in that he lets people break down, break through that kind of mm. stuffiness of classical music. Yeah, you know, if you wanna, if you wanna nod your head back and forward while you're playing your violin, yes. you should. You don't yes. need to sit as if you could rest a glass of yeah. water on the top of your head. You know, like because yeah. we've moved on from that. And he's not afraid to rustle the feathers mm. of the people who think that. Those yes. traditions are, you know, are there for a reason and yeah. must be up kept. Yeah. yeah, and and you know, I'm, you know, I, I go and watch a, a Beethoven symphony or something and played the way it's always been played, and it's beautiful. Mm. You know, I'm all for that too. Mm. Like, you know, that's still that's still allowed to exist yeah. and still has its audience, and that's absolutely fine. Mm. Yeah. So, but you go and so then what do you do? So that, so it's successful enough. You mm. obviously. You, you sell out the venues or get good crowds everyone's happy yeah so that's a big tick we'll do it yeah. again yeah yeah and so I just sort of had to wait until the next time that I had spare time luckily my period <laughs> of um, being unemployed came to an end after that concert right not from that concert but just a yeah by chance I got yep. some work yeah and then that work led to more work and so I had to wait for the next chunk of time where mm. I didn't have work and then planned the Blackbird show, we did another one, bigger, better, uh, still different venues, I hadn't got that quite um, <laughs> sorted uh, yet, but um, yeah, then we did uh, one with poetry, we had Oliver Driver reading poetry, and we had 
um, Murray Hickman from mm. Strike and all this percussion stuff and um, I just picked music that was really inspiring at the time from films or from classical stuff or songs. He had Radiohead, had Björk. Um, and then, um, yeah, from there, just kind of every year or every two years, we'll do a new show and we'll theme it on whatever I'm... And how many of the players, you know, you can obviously replace people if they're unavailable and stuff, mm. but how, how much of a core band... Is it, if you uh, like, or how well, flexible is it? I think um, the bassist, Eric Scholes, who has been with us from day one, but pretty much everyone else has come and gone because mm. we used younger players and they'd often be going overseas to mm -hmm. do a master's or a doctorate or whatever. Um, and so we used whoever's around. Um, but the core players keep kind of coming back. Yeah, you've got a revolving yeah. door policy. <laughs> yeah, and we have different kind yeah. of lineups as well. Mm. You know, at our Dreams show, it was all, like, memorised. It was more sort of um, a band feel mm. rather than a classical kind of feel, which... Um, and I think our audience just kind of readily accepts, like, our changing, morphing mm. uh, musical output because we theme it and we visualise everything. I so wanted to. Well. I wanted to say um, it, you're kind of like a a fly my pretties that's come from the classical world, but I was worried that that I don't want that to be an insult because <laughs> I know you're not selling branded hoodies and stuff, but <laughs> but I mean in terms of how you've developed and built a fan base that's just going to go along and yeah. see. Which and when I say just, I don't mean out of complacency. I mean they they're excited to go yeah. along because they're invested in your product mm. so they know you're not going to let them down i think in auckland we do have that and i think once people go and mm. see it they're very like vocal about telling other people mm. to see it because they have emotional experiences or they have like intense like artistic pleasure when they see what we're mm. doing when we, when we play um so i think you know it's about that audience experience i'm always trying to keep the details mm. attended to and make sure that we go the extra mile for them so that the word does spread because we don't have a marketing budget mm, mm, and mm. we never really have. I think, you know, our last show we had $300 or something to do some promoted posts and <laughs> yeah, yeah, print some posters, yeah. but we'll try and get sponsorship for everything. But mm. um, And now we're on tour, which is amazing because it's so expensive because we're always so big. Mm. Um, and the big big size of the ensemble is what part of what makes it really cool mm. um and we yeah you're like an arts festival show that's yeah. happening whether there's an arts festival or not <laughs> you're sometimes tagged to arts festivals i know yeah. you're going up to do the Havelock yeah. one in, yeah um in a couple of weeks but you're basically bringing an arts festival styled show yeah to places whether there's a festival or not which yeah. is pretty cool on a non-arts festival budget. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, for many, many years <laughs> yes. so far. Yeah. But now we're finally getting into the actual yeah, festivals. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's all the hard work of everybody who's, you know, been part of it so far. And there's been a huge team. I, I think there'd be like 60 or 70 people who have been part of it in some, mm. you know, backstage or front mm. stage. Amazing. And, yeah. Yeah. And so the current show that you're touring is the Bjork, show yes. which you first did a couple of years ago in Auckland 2017 yeah. yeah and so 
why what's so special about that one in terms of reviving it and taking it i mean i i know because i love her music yeah. so i guess that's the answer but yeah. but why is that the one that you've sort of revisited taking on the road um well that's the one that tour makers chose mm. um and it's the one that uh i guess received the most enthusiastic response mm. from um the crowd and i think it's partly because it's a very strong show and that we centered it all around one artist yes um which we'd never done before apart from the avo pet show but you know these are the songs mm. that people have known and grown up with and loved so they obviously have the, that attachment with her and she's somewhat of a polarizing artist and you know, a lot of people mm. hate her mm. and i think those people are maybe the people who haven't listened to her entire catalog yeah yeah because there are songs that i don't really like of hers and yes there's I songs that i really feel the same like. way yeah so i think those people need to open their minds and just come to the show. <laughs> well, I, have you had? I was thinking you probably would get maybe through some plus ones and partners that are dragged along by enthusiastic mm. fans. You would possibly get some feedback from people going, "I didn't think I liked her music, but, yeah. but wow, kind yes. of thing," because you're actually the real. Yeah. It's almost like you're the greatest hits compilation <laughs> for them. Yeah. And I, 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 you know, I mean, in terms of just a, a one-off sampler that yeah. actually finally cuts through. Yeah, and it's not just greatest hits. We try no, no, no. I know yeah, that. I know yeah, that. Yeah. That's why I had to clarify yeah, what I mean. Yeah. I'm, I keep coming up with these awful <laughs> things. Your fly my pretties and your greatest hits, and I'm. <laughs> I know what <laughs> I mean. <laughs> That's yeah. quite a good idea, the yeah. honeys. That's definitely a good idea. <laughs> we had t-shirts for our dreams show, um, but they were, ended up being just kind of. Um, only the people in the show bought them. Mm. I know it's merch is a funny thing, but mm. um, but yes, I was thinking like with Bjork because she she's so um, not just polarizing, but she's so she's always moving forward. Yes. So she's leaving behind the stuff that's now twenty five years old. Yeah, she'll never perform that again. No, but and we so, will. so yeah. you're, exactly. Yeah. So you'll get a lot of like I would consider myself a almost a lapsed fan or something like yeah. I, I thought I'd kept up with her for the yeah. longest time and I looked at her catalogue the other day and I was like man there's quite a few albums there that yeah. I, I couldn't tell you I knew yeah I probably heard them once yeah you know whereas those first five or six mm. I still you know and it's not that I, I think I know she's doing great work it's just hard to keep up with everyone yeah so you're you, that's what I mean again by greatest hits is that you're giving people a, a curated selection yes. and so there are people going I bet there's people going to that show and going, right, I'm going straight back home to listen to Post for the first time in yeah, five years yeah. or ten years. People do yeah, do that. Yeah. yeah. Marlon Williams came along and said, I've been listening to her all week and now I'm going to go listen to some more. That's cool. Yeah. Inspired my love of her again. Mm. Oh, but, he's a good pull quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, should have written See, that you down. Know, yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's what you do when you've got a $300 marketing budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. We just invite all the celebrities I know. Um... But that's true. She will never do this sort of lineup in yeah. her, her shows anymore. She'll just do her new albums, which mm. is fair enough. Um, but you know, and we do new takes on them. As yeah. Well. Plus, yeah. how many times has she been to New Zealand? Twice, I think. Twice. Oh, maybe yeah. three times. Maybe three Cubes times. The first yes. Time. Yeah. I saw her at the big day out, and I think she just. What album was that? After Homogenic, maybe. Mm. Um, yeah, and that was awesome, but she was mm. also like at the big day out and there was a whole lot yeah, yeah, weren't yeah. there for her. Um, it's not, I can't believe she played there. I didn't go to that. And I, I didn't go and see her the night she played in Wellington mm. years ago. 
because I went and saw the Finn Brothers, which at the time felt like a really good choice and, and was a great concert. Yeah. But then I'm like, how many fucking times have I had the chance to see them since? Yeah. And I've gone and yeah. it's often been good versus yeah. seeing York. Yeah. It's just stupid. It's yeah. just, I guess there was a price difference too, probably. And mm. I was a student, but I, I, I now think like that was a bad move. I should have gone to the to her show. Yeah. Because uh, we tried to see her. Um, me and my girlfriend flew to Rome to uh, see her, like just after we'd done this, mm. the first show. Mm. Um, and we were sitting in this Roman ruin where she was doing this show, waiting for it to begin. And it started raining, and um, they had all these flutes on the stage, and they had a classical harpist, and they ended up covering it all up with tarpaulin. And the show started for about 30 seconds and then stopped for like an hour and a half saying, oh, we'll wait till the rain stops. And and then in the end, there was thunder and lightning and Björk came out and apologised and said, we can't do the show, it's too dangerous. Mm. And we'd flown oh my God. all the way to Rome and we were like jet lagged and cold and wet, sitting in our ponchos. And, um, and we were leaving Rome like two days later and they <laughs> postponed it to like... A month and a oh half later. And so I was like, no, <laughs> this oh, can't man. be happening. And we'd kind of only gone to Rome just because she was playing yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were going to Germany after that. But um, anyway, I, I, I saw her that one time at the Big Day Out, and hopefully I'll see her again. Yeah, yeah, and that was uh, at a, no doubt at a very formative time for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, so that's something. Like her, yeah, 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 yeah. So her performance might be yeah. better in, in, in many ways and mm. a bit and obviously in a better setting, but it's still <laughs> part of that early fuse of yeah. things for you. Yeah. Um, and I think, do you think, like, um, you know, I remember thinking with Bjork that a lot of people don't, um, I know it's probably changed now, but I think a lot of people underestimated her abilities as a composer and arranger and thought of her as just this kooky weird singer for a long time and I that must have been I think she's always handled that with <laughs> you know ambivalence or grace or both yeah. but that's quite a strange well, I think for marketing it's quite good to have her as the lead singer and an artist but really she is such a producer mm. she's in the studio cooking mm. in the you know all there's the a great and I listened to that um the Red Bull podcast was, it was an archival interview with her. That's just amazing, where she actually talks through how involved she is in, yeah, right. in each part of things. Yeah. And actually, like for her, pretty much actually boasts for once kind of thing. And it's incredible. I think it's important, especially yeah. for women, because there's hardly any women producers yeah, out there. Yeah, totally. And uh, it's important that they know that you don't have to be curated by a male engineer or yeah, a yeah. producer or... You know, you can do it yourself. Mm, mm. And she does it with shitty microphones, and <laughs> yeah, she prefers yeah. it. Suddenly, yeah. the way she makes demos is with a really, yes. really low-grade sound, yeah. or maybe just straight into her laptop or something. I was going to say, I feel like she's one of the pretty early sort of adopters of just the laptop yeah. as the 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 place to dump your demos, but yeah. also to produce and work from. From yeah. there, you know, Johnny Greenwood a little bit too, I suppose, but. But she's kind of one of the very early mm. adopters in the mainstream of that. She's not afraid of technology. She mm. always searches out new technologies mm. as well, as well as kind of the manual way of doing things, like making your own giant music box or like a harp instrument that wraps around you like a belt. Or mm. I mean, the sky's the limit with her and her creativity and 
budget. <laughs> so, mm. Mm. yeah, she's really leading the way in lots of respects. Yeah, she sort of has come from, you know, equal parts, the kind of um, 80s pop people like Kate Bush and Peter Gabriel and that, that were real conceptualists, but this whole other avant-garde mm. sort of you know, I think beyond where they were coming from in mm. terms of influences, and, and and yeah, I'm she's someone that I'm just like, I'm pretty in awe of her overall, but I'm well aware that I'm not the world's biggest fan, and there's there's some things I've lost and missed over the time, but it's all there to go back to. You know, yeah. I, I reckon I could find whole new favorite albums oh, by her that sure. I've forgotten about or yeah. I hadn't even spent much time with. Yeah, you know, but but uh, certainly those first few. The first four proper albums, I just, you know, they're like right up there for me as mm. great listening experiences mm. always. Yeah, absolutely. So has that show, how much has that show changed? I mean, you've got a few new people in yep. it. So does that bring in new songs or is uh, it a set, is it the same set of songs from two years? It's a different set. Um, mm. It's, and even a different set from my earlier tour this year. Mm. I've just honed things down. I've part it down a little bit. I'm always aware that of the audience's concentration span. Mm. I, I don't think you can concentrate um, and really um, enjoy something that's longer than an hour and a half. So I've trimmed it down to, I think, an hour and 20. Um, and I have added a new song from U Utopia because that came out just after we premiered the first mm. show. Um, and I have just cleaned up some of the other ones. I've also added another one from Vespertine, which is an instrumental. Um, and just changed a few things. We have a slightly more lean cast on tour, so we only have three singers and we have uh, two percussionists instead of three, so some of my parts have changed quite a bit. Um, and in what way? And that you're doing more I'm percussion? I'm doing more. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing lots more. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have um, Maratike instead of Teeks, and we have uh, Priyasami instead of Jesse and um, Sarah about now who did the first. Hmm. Um, and you have Anna Coddington, and Anna. who you've had yeah, Anna, previously. Who's, yeah, Anna, who has been um, yeah. with us from the start, Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So you play, so around the time people hear this, you'll be playing next week in um, Wellington. Yeah. And then you go up to Hawke's Bay. Or uh, is there somewhere in Nelson. between? Nelson and then Hawke's Bay. Y Nelson and then Hamilton oh, and Hamilton. then Hawke's yeah, Bay. Yeah, right, right. We kind of, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. But that's really cool because they're all places you haven't yeah. taken the show. Yeah. So you did the South Island at the start of the year, in was February, it? very much, yeah. yeah. And then... Um, How instantly has it? have you found people hooking into what you're doing outside of Auckland? Like you're saying you're quite... You know that's your home base, yeah. and so you've got you've done several shows there. Yeah. You've got a, you've, that's where that's where your gang is. Yeah, I think uh, an arts festival crowd are always pretty open-minded, mm. and they will trust the curation of the festival. Um, when we've played outside festival um, um, formats, then it's we're kind of relying more on word of mouth of people who know about our work in Auckland mm. or people who like Bjork which is good that her name's a, a draw card. Mm, mm. There have been some um, people who have turned up thinking she will actually be playing. Um, yes, I always wonder that with any sort of, tri I guess, tribute-style yeah. show or yeah. covers show, I thought that, you know, there was that Neil Young 
um, 40th anniversary yeah. of Rust Never Sleeps. Yeah. And it's pretty obvious to most people. But mm. then I thought if you took a simple look at that poster, there would have been yeah. a few people that... Yeah. I would guess that's a good thing. Yeah, I suppose. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if they've bought the and, ticket, and yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you'd have to not know much about Björk to actually think she'd yes. be there doing that. Yeah, and yeah. she's not on the poster. There's some other girl. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um... Yes, and the, and the, your answer should come about when you Google. Yes. You know the show title and yeah. stuff, and you get taken to a a, a, a very good um, video trailer. Yes. That you guys have got. Yeah. That, that, that showcases bits of the show without giving too much away. Yeah. Um, you know, which has made me very very excited to see it because, as I say, I sort of have my own come and go with the music anyway, and then I watch the. Uh, trailer clip a couple of weeks ago and I hadn't seen it before I don't think and I watched it and went you know fuck this is really really good like this has got me interested in going back to the the origin the source but looking forward to the show which is about as good as it can be I suppose yeah yeah um so what comes next for Blackbird I'm not allowed to say you're not allowed to know but there is something there is something next year yeah and it will be a tour yeah yeah so it will be I think pretty much the length of the country wow wow it'll be smaller and it'll be more experimental um yeah apart mm-hmm. from that i can't really say much yet okay <laughs> and and outside uh, well uh, you know you don't have to answer this in regard to that but but are there several more ideas roughly in your in your head for this ensemble is it sort of yeah. limitless like do you have you know 10 or 20 names you could say it would be great to do a Tom Waits show it would be great to, whatever yeah. it is you know, yeah. it would be great uh, to do a whatever I've, uh, I've got playlists on yeah. my computer that I just add to every now and again yeah. oh that would be great if we did a show themed around like that time of year or that um, mm. like I'd love to do a Valentine's Day show mm. <laughs> because there's so many great love songs out yeah. there or just like themed around love um, or heartbreak I guess um, and I think it would be great for Blackbird to be in more of a supporting role with another artist if we approached somebody and said, what can we do for you? Can mm. we do some really interesting treatments like we've done for Björk, but with somebody who's the actual artist mm. will let us rework all of their songs and do something mm. really different. Mm. So so you're really open to that? I'm that's open a, to that. That's an amazing idea. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, we don't ever perform our own stuff. I mean, once mm. or twice we've played some of my works, but I don't really write songs. So um, we're serving other artists um, material mm. and so it would be great to work with a living artist mm. New Zealand artist um, at some stage as well mm. Mm. you um, were talking about a period of um, unemployment and then that coming to an end have you been lucky and stubborn enough to not have a pesky day job that has nothing to do with music mm. have you held out and gone that's not for me yeah I did have a day job when I was at uni. I worked in a framing shop and I got fired. <laughs> I wasn't good at my job. And my sister did the job before me and the woman only hired me because she wanted another Emma. Mm. She called me Emma most of the time. I'm like, I'm not my sister. I do not have the same skill set. I'm actually pretty crap at my job. Um, and Which is I, amazing, really, because your job... In music, yeah. as, as a essentially a framer. Yeah. You're a frame. You are <laughs> metaphorically. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I didn't last long in that job, but also it was terrible pay, and I 
was doing string quartet gigs and I supported myself through uni doing gigs like that mm. um, as well. And so when I got rid of the framing job, that was that was the last time I did anything normal. And then I, I did some teaching as well. Mm. But I stopped teaching uh, eight years ago or something because um, I didn't really enjoy it. I do like children um, and I don't mind teaching... Uh, people about music. I like lecturing, mm. but I don't like teaching piano beginners stuff. It just saps me of any energy, mm. especially mm. if people don't practice and you're doing the same thing every week. And I'm mm. quite impatient. <laughs> and but I don't try. I don't let that show. But it just makes me frustrated. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no teaching anymore. Only you know the odd guest lecturer gig, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. Um and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do lots of arranging over summer usually. Mm. I do lots of work for APO and um, Orchestra Wellington. Anyone who needs, you know, an artist is working with an orchestra and we need their songs arranged or mm. whatever. Um, but not so much of that this year because I've been composing so much. Mm. Um, but yeah. I know I know with all this I mean this is an incredibly naive naive question on purpose I know with all of this doing good work leads to generally yes. is, is the business more, card yeah. it leads to more but how you know when did you first feel that actually taking like right my name because I know you're established mm. um, your name's come up on my podcast a few times you know from other people talking about either working with you or the, the great work that you've done um, but so when do, when do you notice you know can you pinpoint a time and go oh cool I don't have to schmooze as much I don't have to mm-hmm. hit and hope I'm actually being think, approached uh, I always feel like I have to schmooze but um, not in a fake way but no, I just no, think, no, you yeah, have to totally. keep your foot in the door because yeah. there's somebody else who will step in and, no I realise as yeah. I asked that I know, you, I know yeah. no, I, not many people in New Zealand are in music are at the place where they can just the foot's off the gas no. and they're always being oh, asked I think I know once that. you become complacent yes. then yes. you're going to lose the jobs yeah but um, I think learning to frame pictures again whether you want to or not you know? <laughs> yeah oh gosh um I think uh, Blackbird Ensemble has actually been a passion project, but it has actually become more well-known than me, mm. um, which has been good because, you know, like, who's behind that? Oh, Claire Count. Oh, you know, like, it's um, the amount of money and time I've put into it. It's been my sort of business card. Yes. It's been my uh, uh, thing that does the work for me in terms of mm. publicising who I... And it's really good to have a, a performance side of my career um, as just like a chance to work with other people as well. Mm. Mm. And I think that always leads to things. I don't think I can ever po- pinpoint where all my jobs come from exactly. Mm. It's mm. just, you know, word of mouth. Yeah, it yeah. tends to be the harder you work, the luckier you get, right? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's, yeah, it's great that you've got the... Yeah, the performance side locked into something that also showcases your other skills. It's not mm. like you're in a covers band on the side, but you are. This is I a co- <laughs> this is, but it's it's such a grandiose covers band yeah. that it's the perfect covers band for a composer arranger yeah. to live in, right? Yeah. yeah. So you you um you probably couldn't have 
thought when the ensemble first performed in 10 years time we will have done this X amount of times and this will be a big part of my gig yeah. and it's absolutely perfect for it to be there yeah no I don't think I would have known that it would become I, I thought it would just be a one-off thing mm. and we're like we need a name oh blackbird I suppose <laughs> it was the name of my string quartet that was at uni because we all wore black and we had Sophie Bird as a violinist so that's where the name came from <laughs> um and yeah I mean it's it's and as an icon, though, as a as a as a piece of iconography, it's sort of somehow fits or flits, as it were, perfectly around the the sorts of music you've been playing. Right? Mm. It's 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 ended up becoming yeah a symbolic. I guess we're more magpies, than <laughs> <laughs> just like you know, taking all the shiny things and making them ours. But yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it could be either. When you do the hoodie, it can yeah, it can still yeah. be. <laughs> can still be a magpie on the back. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and so, and so, what? What you know? You've got secret project next year. Yes. And and what else have you got in the pipeline that happens around? You you're you're working around these shows that you're doing, doing other stuff. Yeah. Well, most immediately is the mm. ballet. So Royal New Zealand Ballet commissioned me last year to write the, a new score. Um, so Hansel and Gretel will come out soon, um, and I'm. Working with the choreographer in Wellington at the moment, um, and so that's huge. It's been the biggest commission of my life, and then from there, hopefully, more dance-related. And how how long is that job from page to stage? Uh, well, it kind of took about two years to come together. About one year of writing, but also with other jobs in between. Mm. Um, it's a hundred minutes of music for a fifty-piece orchestra. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's staggering. I, I, I guess that's, you know, I know a couple of uh, regular, you know, film composers quite well. Ryan Sheehan is a good friend of mine and, and um, I know David Long pretty well. And I was talking to him recently and he was, it's funny you guys talk about these jobs in terms of minutes, which makes yeah. complete sense. Yeah. But a movie is, I always note the running length of a movie, but yeah. I never think that that's, the, that's sort of on the job sheet for a composer, yeah. even though I'm music's a really important part of the film for me I never really think about that but mm. David Long was talking about his project he's been working on and how he has to write around about 180 minutes of music and how much that is and yeah. it's like wow that's heaps and, then, and how he was like I'm going to try and write a minute or two a day you kind of have to do yeah, that chunking just to that know just, that you can do it because otherwise that just seems amazing it seems insurmountable mm. I, I sort of tried to do that with the ballet and say okay I'll write one minute a day with the time available and gosh I mean it didn't end up being that because it's not just the writing of the music it's the orchestrating and the transferring it from the sounding project program into the scoring program and Mm. All of the nitty gritty of it that takes a lot of time, and then all of the admin around it, and get working with assistants and stuff like that. Mm. I think one minute a day is quite an easy job, but I mean, it also depends on what sort of scene it is, what sort of <laughs> thickness of orchestration. Mm. If it's one minute of tutti, that's going to be you know fifty times the work than if it's mm. one minute of solo violin. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I guess with something like the ballet, it's. Well, I don't know, but I, I'm guessing that it's more sympathetic than a film, in a sense, and that you're, you, the wider piece 
is more obvious to you as the composer, whereas the film and, or a TV show and writing a minute or two, you're completely beholden to a director's vision, mm. you know, and individual pieces. Yeah, and if you've not worked with a director before, you're not sure if they all like it or whether it'll get changed at the last minute or... Um, yeah, but the ballet, I mean, I had never written one before, so it's it was a totally different way of yeah, creating. So, so what do you do? How do you know, in terms of what's your frame of reference? Like, do you immediately start, you know, researching people that have written ballets? That you, yeah, yeah. Do you do that? I like, yeah. I mean, I couldn't find many. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was looking for female composers mm. and I couldn't find any actually. Um, well, there's none in New Zealand, it's the mm. first mm. that's been written. Um, and I think there was one in um, New York and one in Scotland. But just trying to find new scores, like, there's there hardly any new ballet scores. So I was going back to the classics of mm. like The Nutcracker and mm. uh, Romeo and Juliet and, um, you know, all those old guys, old dead guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I couldn't ask them for advice, so I was yeah I, try, I tried to write some composers and they didn't respond. Um, Offshore. Yeah, um, whose music I admired. But mm. Yeah, I mean everyone's busy. Sometimes mm, people mm. write to me and I don't respond. Mm, mm. Um, so I ended up just treating it like a film score, and I was inventing the film in my head mm-hmm. and then writing what I thought. Um, and that was based on a script that both me and the choreographer had worked on, mm, mm. down to the ten-second increment of the action. So wow, yeah, it has to be that exact, or you end up with way too long a show. Mm. Yeah. Now, can you sit in the, you know, in the rehearsal, full dress rehearsal, and then the premiere and watch it, or are you like, my work's done, I can't see that? Oh, no, nah, You're definitely. totally there to see it. I, yeah, that's yeah. my reward. Yeah. I, I love seeing the dancers. Like, it's mm. awesome to see the choreography come together to match exactly what I've written, even though he didn't know exactly what I was going to deliver. Mm. Like, he's choreographing the movement so exact to every triangle ting and every pizzicato. Mm. You know, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> 